Well, good morning. I'm Evan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Pastor Jim is the one who normally preaches on Sundays, but as I said, he was on vacation this past week, and so Pastor Steve preached last week. I'm preaching today. He'll be back next week up here and um, for Easter. You all realize Easter's next week? So uh, because of Easter, we've taken a break. We've been going through the book of Romans, and that will take a long time, and that's great, but we've taken a break at this season because of Easter to do a a mini-series called Walk with Christ to the Cross, which will culminate next, next week at Easter. So why did we decide to take a break, besides the fact that it's Easter, why did we decide to take a break and, and examine these events that led up to the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Well, because quite frankly, these events are the most important events in all of world history. All of history before that were leading up to those events, and everything that has happened since is affected by those events. Our present and our future will be affected by those events. So we wanted to take some time and examine these events. So how many of you have ever had to make a hard decision? All of us, most half of you don't like raising your hands in public places, so you didn't. But I know we've all made hard decisions, and perhaps no decision is harder, in my mind, than to decide where to go out to eat with your family, right? Well, let's just start driving and we'll figure it out. No, the car's not leaving the driveway until we decide. And there's always weeping and gnashing of teeth from the back. Can I get an amen? So anyway, all joking aside, some decisions are harder than others. And we're going to look today at some decisions that some people had had to make about Jesus. Now, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jim preached on the Last Supper or the Last Passover where Jesus observed the Passover meal with his disciples and instituted communion, which we celebrate here. And then last week, uh, Pastor Steve examined uh, the night before Jesus was arrested and crucified where he went to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples and prayed. To God and asked him, God, if there's any other way for this to happen, the salvation of the world, if there's any way for this cup to pass for me. um, But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he made the decision there and knew that he was going to be crucified. So then, while he was in the garden, it was midnight or after, late at night, uh, soldiers came and arrested him. Now why, and these soldiers were sent by the Jewish rulers, why did the Jewish rulers want to arrest Jesus? Well, when you read the stories of Jesus, all through his ministry, he was constantly up against the religious leaders. And they didn't like him a whole lot. He, um, he threatened their position. He threatened their authority. He threatened their standing with the people. 
he was constantly tell, calling them hypocrites and broods of vipers and all kinds of names that they didn't really like too much. And so you read in several places where Jesus, he would heal someone on the Sabbath, which was against their rules, um, or other things. And, the, and, and it says that from that time they decided how, they plotted how they might arrest Jesus, how they might destroy Jesus, how they might kill Jesus. In fact, it's, it's quite remarkable that Jesus is doing all these miraculous things where if they had eyes to see, they would see that he was from God, but they could not wrap their mind around, around him and who he was and what he did and the things that he questioned about their traditions. So much so that some of you may know that there came a time when, when Jesus' friend Lazarus died and he had been dead for several days, and Jesus rose him from the dead. And everybody, lots of people saw it, and the story spread, and there's this miraculous thing that Jesus did. Here's how the Jewish, leader, the Jewish leaders reacted to that. It's in John chapter 12, starting in verse 9. It says, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. They had hard hearts. Rather than accept that Jesus might be who he claimed to be, the Messiah, they said, we'll just do away with the evidence and kill Lazarus. Amazing. So, this is where we pick up the story. They've arrested Jesus. It's in the middle of the night. They take him to the high priest's house. We're going to read in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it? that these men testify against you. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So first of all, I mean, I, I titled this sermon Jesus on Trial, but this really is a trial only in the loosest sense of the word because this, this trial is illegal. It's taking place in the middle of the night, which it wasn't supposed to happen. They're bringing false witnesses against Jesus. And Jesus didn't answer any of the accusations that were hurled against him. 
It says he, he, the high priest asked him, what do you have to say about this? He didn't answer him. So finally the high priest says, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed or the son of God? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And at that, the high priest tore his robes, which is, a, which is an act of great, showing great distress and at that, they all convicted him of blasphemy. Now, why, what, what in those words of Jesus made them have such a reaction? Because you read that, and you're like, well, that escalated quickly. So when, he, uh, when Jesus said that phrase, it was pointing to at least a couple of Old Testament verses, which these Jewish, uh, the Jewish high priest knew very well, and he knew exactly what Jesus was implying about himself. That quote, the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven, is referencing uh, Daniel chapter 7 in verse 13. And I want to read you a quote by Tim Keller, who wrote a book called Jesus the King, where he talks about this. And here's what he says. In both of Jesus' biblical allusions here, son of man from Daniel 7.13, and at his right hand from Psalm 110.1, The Messiah comes as a judge. Everybody in the room, all all of the ruling council of the Sanhedrin, knows who the Son of Man is. In Daniel 7, the Son of Man comes from the throne of God to earth in the clouds of heaven to judge the world. And the clouds of heaven are not the same as the clouds of earth, just water vapor. These clouds are the Shekinah glory, the very presence of God. Therefore, by replying as he does, Jesus is saying, I will come to earth in the very glory of God and judge the entire world. It's an astounding statement. It's a claim to deity. So Jesus is saying, that son of man who will come with the clouds of heaven and judge the world, that's me. And that's why the high priest had such a, a, a reaction. And here's something that I wonder why Jesus didn't answer any charge until this one. And I believe that Jesus was not going to let them charge him with anything less than his claim to being the Messiah. Jesus said, all these other claims, I'm not even going to bother answering those. You're going to convict me for being who I am, the Messiah. And I want to read you uh, I want to read to you Daniel 7, chapter 13 and 14. This is, this is what he was communicating to the high priest with what he said. He said, <clears throat> I saw, this is Daniel speaking. Daniel was being given visions by God. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is saying, that's me. So the high priest reacts as he does. They instantly charge him with blasphemy and that he's deserving of death. But because Rome rules Israel at this time, they're not allowed to put people to death. So they need to march him off to see Pontius Pilate, who was 
uh, Rome's representative, Rome's governor in this region. So we pick up the story in Mark 15, chapter 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now in the Gospel of John, he gives us a little bit more to this story, this interaction between Jesus and Pilate. And by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Mark, the first four books of the New Testament are what we call the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's, this, it's the, the life and the teaching and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and written by four different people, and so you kind of get four different perspectives. And so it's good to read the same story from different perspectives, and I would encourage you to do that. So John, in John 18, verse 28, he tells us this. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. That's Pilate. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's quarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Bunch of hypocrites. We'll talk about that later. So... <laughs> Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. That's a lame answer, by the way. (laughs) Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with this. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus had predicted that he was going to be crucified. The Romans crucified people. If the Jews had put him to death, if they'd been able to, they would have stoned him. But he had predicted that he would be crucified. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Pilate's like, I don't understand what they're saying. Just, what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So Pilate doesn't care about their religious laws. His job there as governor was to collect taxes and keep the peace. And by the way, you'll notice that the Jewish leaders, they changed the charge against Jesus from blasphemy because they know Pilate doesn't care about that to something else. They, they, they accuse him of making himself out to be a king and inciting people against Rome because they knew that Pilate would care about that. Pilate has this remarkable conversation with Jesus where um, he's talking to, he has, Jesus calls himself the truth. He's talking to the truth. And he says, I come to bear witness about the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? Does that sound familiar? 
It sounds a lot like our world today. So when we look at this account in, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us a little bit more. So Pilate, he really doesn't want to deal with this. He's kind of detected that the Jews are bringing this before him. And something they say makes him see, oh, there may be a way out of this where I can pass the buck here. So we read in Luke 23, in verse 6, when, when Pilate found out that Jesus was from Galilee. Now, Galilee was ruled by a Jewish ruler named Herod. And the way it worked in those days in many of those eastern countries, Rome ruled everything, but there were kings in place before they conquered, and they would oftentimes leave the king in place. Now, Herod wasn't a king. He, he had a lesser title. It's called Herod the Tetrarch. He was just in charge of this little area, but he was, a, he was a servant of Rome. So when Pilate heard that he, Jesus was from Galilee, he asked whether the... When, when, sorry. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he, Jesus, made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. So Herod was only interested in Jesus for, because, for his own entertainment. He had heard stories about Jesus. He knew Jesus healed people and did turn water into wine and raise people from the dead. And he's like, well, that's cool. I want to see some of that. But he really was only interested in Jesus for the entertainment value. And when Jesus didn't give it to him, he grew tired of him and he sent him away. So now he goes back to Pilate. Now Pilate brings, him, brings Jesus out before the crowd that had gathered there uh, in front of his palace or his headquarters, wherever he was. And we read about this in Mark 15, starting in verse 6. Now at the feast, the feast of Passover, which they were in the middle of observing, now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered them up. So the way I read this is that he realizes that the chief priests are jealous of Jesus. They're envious of that the crowds love him and not them. And that's behind a lot of this. And so the way I read this is Pilate figures, well, the crowd loves him. Let me present him to the crowd and they'll want to release him instead of this murderer Barabbas and then I'll be off the hook. Chapter, or verse 11. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate 
is in charge of keeping the peace and he feared a riot and so he let the crowd have their way. So in John 19, we read this account of Jesus being crucified. Starting in verse 16. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Pilate says, go pound sand. This is his last poke at them. I'm crucifying your king. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, They took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says they they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, before he actually died, we we read there that Jesus was crucified between two men. And these were the final two people who Jesus came under their judgment, as it were, as he was dying on the cross. And Luke uh, chapter 23 tells us a little bit more about this interaction, starting in verse 39. One of the criminals who were, hanged, who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me, when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So who do we identify with in this story? In this whole narrative, Jesus is standing before the religious leaders. He stands before the governor, the judge. Pilate was acting as judge. He stood before Herod, who was a ruler in that area. He stood before the crowd, these two thieves on the cross. Well, we could talk a little bit about each one of those, but I would contend that the one we actually resemble the most is Barabbas. 
Barabbas, the, the insurrectionist, the murderer who was in prison and who got released instead of Jesus. Barabbas was set free while an innocent man died in his place, like us. If you think about it, no one else better represents us than Barabbas. We're in a prison of our own making because of our sin with the sentence of death hanging over our head. And there's nothing we can do about it. And then here comes this innocent man. And because of him, you know, I wonder if that cross that Jesus died on was intended for Barabbas. But because of Jesus, Barabbas went free. Because of Jesus, because he died on the cross in our place, we go free. But you know, Barabbas still had to make a choice. We don't know what happened to Barabbas. It just says that he was freed. Did he stick around and see what this, who this Jesus was, who was dying in his place? Did he become a follower of Jesus? Did he just leave and go back to his own life? Jesus died in his place and took his penalty, but Barabbas still had to make a choice to follow Jesus or to go back to his old life. So as I said, they were observing the Passover during all of these events. And the Passover, if you don't know the story, they, they celebrated it every year and, and Jews still celebrate it today, every year. At this time of year, it, it remembers their freedom from captivity, from slavery in Egypt. They were, they were under slavery. God told Pharaoh to let his people go. Pharaoh said no. God sent plague after plague after plague to try to get Pharaoh to let his people go against the country. And finally, in the final plague, he said, I'm going to send the angel of death and the firstborn of every household in Egypt is going to die. But God gave instructions to his people and said, in order to have the angel of death pass over your house, I want you to take a lamb and slaughter the lamb and take the lamb's blood and spread it over the doorposts of your house. And when the angel of death passes over, if he sees the blood, you will be saved. You will be spared. You won't die. So I told you that the the Jewish leaders, they went to Pilate's house, they took Jesus to Pilate's house and they didn't want to go into his house because he's a dirty pagan and they would become become ceremonially unclean and not be able to observe the Passover. They had just conducted an illegal trial against an innocent man, and they're worried about their, their, their cleanliness and the ability to observe their outward ritual. And the great irony here is that Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the Passover lamb. They were killing the Passover lamb, and they were worried about observing the Passover ritual. In John one twenty nine, it tells us, Speaking of John the Baptist, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every year the Jews would, the high priest would take a lamb and sacrifice the lamb to atone for the sins of the people. Jesus is that lamb. He's the Passover lamb. He's the lamb that was slain. 
to take away the sin of the world. But here's the thing. We still, like Barabbas still had to make a decision, we still have to decide whether or not to paint the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of our hearts. So when the angel of death comes, he passes over and we're not destroyed. The Jewish leaders cared more about their position with Rome, the religious rules they had created. Do we care more about our position with the world around us who is offended by the claims of Jesus or our own religion? You're like, I haven't created my own religion. Have you ever said or have you ever heard somebody say, well, my God wouldn't do this. Well, my God wouldn't do that. When we say things like that, if it's not based on the word of God, what we're saying is, I've created my own religion or I've created my own God and it's me. Anything we believe about God, we have to verify in the scriptures. And when the scriptures say one thing and I say something else, one of us is right and one of us is wrong. And this is a very important, this is a very important um, concept to wrap your mind around. Do I stand under the authority of the Bible or do I stand over authority to the Bible? You have to decide that because there's going to be things in your life and my life that we come up against that God says something different. That was the problem with the Jewish leaders. Pilate cared about keeping peace in his world and not putting a foot wrong with Rome. Do do we worry about just keeping peace in our own world? In our family, in our our friendships, our workplace relationships? Because following Jesus sometimes brings turmoil in our relationships. Herod cared about his own entertainment. Are we only interested in what Jesus might do for us, for our own comfort or happiness? And by the way, is happiness even the goal? You hear that a lot? God just wants me to be happy. Is that true? Or does happiness, does Jesus want even more for us than happiness? And what if our idea of happiness is different than what Jesus says will make us happy? Jesus offers us eternal joy. Jesus stood before the high priest. He stood before a judge. He stood before a ruler. Jesus is the true high priest. The true high priest was standing, the true high priest, the true judge was standing before the earthly high priest and being judged. It's amazing. God calls Jesus our great high priest. The high priest is the one who would stand between people and God and intercede for people to God. Jesus is our eternal high priest. He's the true judge. He's the true king. He's the true Passover lamb. And as each party made a judgment about Jesus, so too do we need to make a judgment about him. And by the way, this is urgent. I'll tell you why it's urgent. So when Jesus, the night before, the night he was arrested, when he was in the garden, uh, Peter tried to take matters into his own hands and he drew a sword out and he was going to fight his way out of there. And um, Jesus said, Peter, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels? My father would send me 12 legions of angels to, to rescue me. 
And, and uh, all throughout this crucifixion, people kept mocking Jesus and saying, why don't you save yourself? Jesus could have saved himself, but he didn't. Why? Well, the Bible tells us that one day, Jesus will come with an angel army to defeat Satan once and for all, to take care of all the problems, all the sin, all the bad people. And he could have done that then. Why didn't he? Because we would all have been condemned. Second Peter chapter 3 gives us insight into this. And you may have heard people say, and maybe you've wondered the same thing, why doesn't God do something? Why couldn't God stop that person or that bad thing? And why do people get away with stuff? There's people who abuse children and murder people and they're never caught. How could God allow that? Well, let's read in Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord, that great judgment day sometime in the future that God has fixed in the future, and we don't know how far in the future, could be soon, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, the heavens and the earth, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But here's the good news. But according to his promise... We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. God is absolutely just. People will be judged for their actions, but God is also absolutely loving, which is why he sent Jesus. One day his justice, his perfect justice will be executed upon the earth. And we all deserve judgment and we all deserve death. Knowing this, God said, I will pay the penalty for your sins so you don't have to be judged. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place so we could be free like Barabbas. So we could paint the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of our hearts. And every day that he waits is another opportunity for people who don't know him to follow him and to be saved. So some of you here, may, you may already be a follower of Jesus. And we didn't look at this part of the story, but when Jesus was on trial before the Jewish leaders, Peter, his friend, his apostle, his follower, was there out in the courtyard of the high priest because he wanted to see what was going to happen. And... Um, he had the opportunity to, to identify with Jesus. And three different times, people kept coming to him and saying, hey, aren't you one of his followers? You're one of his followers, aren't you? And three times, Jesus denied it, said, I don't know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. And he denied Jesus. And 
Maybe some of us here today, we find it hard to stand up for Jesus. We're a follower of Jesus, but we find it hard to stand up for Jesus in hard times at work or with our friends because that's not always a popular position. And he failed. And he despaired. But the good thing, the great thing about Jesus is he gives second chances. And later on we read that Jesus came to Peter and he restored Peter and, and, and Peter actually went on to lead the church and to do great things. So I would encourage you, I would implore you, I would beg you, if you're here today and you have not decided to follow Jesus, to not make a decision is a decision. We all have to decide what to do with Jesus. If you say, well, I'm, I don't want to think about it. One day, the Bible tells us you will stand before God's throne and be judged. And God will say, what did you do with my son? And are you wearing, the Bible tells us when we follow Jesus, he puts his robe of righteousness on us. So when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' righteousness and not our sin. And that's what it's going to come down to at the end when we stand before God. And once you die, it's too late. I would implore you that if you have not made that decision, to make that decision today. And when we pray in a minute, I'll tell you how to do it. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, examine yourself and ask yourself, am I... Am I like Peter, where I don't stand up for Jesus? Do I stand in judgment over Jesus? Do I let Jesus onto the throne of my life? Do I stand under authority of his word, or do I stand over authority to it? These are all decisions you have to make. Well, next week is Easter, where we hear the rest of the story. Spoiler alert, Jesus didn't stay dead. So I'd encourage you to come back for that. Invite your friends, invite your enemies, invite your neighbors, because they're going to hear the the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we are so grateful that we have your word, that we don't have to guess at who you are. But you've told us, you've told us how to have salvation, you've told us how to live. And God, it's all about not rules to live by, things to do or don't do. It's all about having a relationship with Jesus. God, I pray that each one of us here today, that by the power of your spirit, you would take whatever these words you want each person to sink deep into their hearts and to reflect on. God, that these words would go with us this week. That we would examine our walk with you. We would examine how we how we judge Jesus. God, if there's any here today, if you're here today and you have not followed Jesus, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you just pray to God and you say, God, I want to follow Jesus. I want to turn my life over to him. I want to get off the throne and let him sit on the throne. God, change me and make me new. God, thank you for these words of truth. 
Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.